On Pop Fiction Women, we explore what it means to be a complicated woman. Tired of endless variations of leading men next to one-dimensional archetypes of women or strong female leads written by men that were essentially guys in women's bodies? We started this show to highlight the many female characters in entertainment worth exploring, as well as the women who dreamt them up. And now we're adding those creators to our conversations, discussing their process and passion in bringing these women to life. Welcome to Complicated Conversations. On these episodes, there's no spoilers. So come on, it's starting. On this episode of Complicated Conversations, we are joined by Charlotte Stout. Charlotte is an award-winning and Emmy-nominated writer and producer in Los Angeles. Her work includes highly acclaimed shows such as Homeland, House of Cards, Fosse Verdon, and most recently, she was showrunner, executive producer, and creator of Pieces of Her starring Toni Collette. If all that wasn't impressive enough, Charlotte holds a doctorate from Oxford. So welcome to Pop Fiction Women, Charlotte. Thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. So we want to start with pieces of her. Given how much time Corinne and I spend on this podcast sorting out our own mommy issues, we were (laughs) heavily invested in this show for which, as we said, you were head writer and showrunner and earned your first created by credit. So we'd love to start just by hearing about how you became involved in the project and what drew you to adapting Karen Slaughter's amazing novel. Sure. I remember I moved to New York to do House of Cards, and then I had just come back to L.A., and I was in an Airbnb that had no chair. So I remember (laughs) I was just in bed. The only place to sit was in bed. And an email came through from my agent saying, this is an interesting book, you know, see if, see if you like it. And I clicked open the galleys and I read pieces of her in one sitting. Wow. And I had that feeling in my body of like this kind of rush where mm. you get really excited about a story and you feel like, oh, wait, there's something here. So I kind of knew right away I wanted to do it. And I think there were a bunch of reasons. One, it just had an extraordinary inciting incident, which is the diner, obviously. And I thought, wow, that's just so cinematic. And I would love to see that on screen. But I had a lot of personal reasons too. And I think the the primary one was, you know, I, I was adopted. And even though my parents told me, I really had a lifelong obsession with finding out the truth of my origins and who my real parents were and what were the circumstances of my birth. And it just felt like in the movie of my life, I had missed the first 10 minutes and it was always going to bug me. So I really understood the idea of this slightly lost woman turning 30, feeling Mm. like if she could just really understand her mother and the true story of the family, that all her her problems would be solved and she would know who she was. And then I think the final piece of it was I've always been obsessed with Patty Hearst Mm. and the story of this very, very privileged person really completely flipping and becoming a revolutionary and turning on the capitalism that had given her this privileged life. And I've always felt that it's impossible to get to the bottom of the Patty Hearst story. Mm. Like, was she brainwashed? Did she like it? 
How did she really feel? Like, why did she stay so long? I feel like these are just unknowable questions. And I like working on a story where you feel like it's always just a little ahead of you and you can't quite ever nail it down. Mm. Pieces of her definitely had that feeling the propulsive movement of, of the story and of their both of their journeys. Yeah. So we heard that you wooed Karen Slaughter with your authenticity. And she was taken with the fact that you ordered bacon and a milkshake when you pitched her on this. <laughs> is that first of all, is that true? That is true. We met at a restaurant in New York. Uh, that, yes, it was like the halcyon days where you could just go to a restaurant and not oh, think twice about it. Right, yeah. right. That nothing else would happen. And, and so she kind of thought, okay, this is not the Hollywood meeting that I've had before. And I think that she was taken with that. Did you have a strategy for winning Karen over? Or what was your way in to pitching her on this adaptation? I think before we met for the for the the bacon, we had a phone call where that which was really my pitch, which I did from that Airbnb bed. Uh-huh. And I did notice one thing that was really kind of goofy, but I noticed our birthdays were a day apart. And uh-huh. I felt like I probably understood this person. And I think the con- I I led with that. I was like, she's gonna think I'm a like a dingbat who's all about <laughs> astrology, but she didn't for whatever reason. And then I kind of told her about my honestly kind of twenty year search for my parents, and I think that's probably what sold her on it. Oh, yeah. Well, if you're a dingbat for astrology, we are with you in that camp. We'll be, we'll get back to that later. Okay, though. we're coming back to that. <laughs> But that is fascinating. And I love that that's what you held on to. It, it jumped out at you. We will come back to that. So Kate and I did an episode on, on this podcast where we unpacked the unlikable female protagonist, what it means, what types mm. we're drawn to, you know, what, what does it really mean? What are people kind of repelled by? And at the end of that episode where we really just talked about women, I said that I thought the next frontier, the place where the audiences really still have a hard time is with mothers. When a mother does something that society deems as against the best interest, not even just an interest, the best interest, because that's the standard that they're held to, of the child, the woman becomes evil or, you know, just unrelatable, completely unrelatable. Meanwhile, fathers do things, the same kind of things all the time. And we understand that you had to fight some of those subconscious gendered notions on pieces of her. Did that happen? It did. And, you know, some of them were probably my own. I Mm, think people, I think if there's one figure in your life, you cannot see clearly it is your mother. It's such a primal relationship. You you can see this person because they've been, you know, literally emotionally in every way, like your survival. Yeah. So I think what I loved was Tony gave me permission to make Laura really unlikable or to have her do things that could be potentially very unlikable. And I think... You know, I sort of learned that lesson on Homeland that Claire Danes was so extraordinary. She could make any action Mm -hmm. human. There was nothing she did that you couldn't emotionally track. And even that, 
you know, very infamous sequence where she had a fantasy about possibly drowning her baby, mm-hmm. that everything that went into her expression and reaction to her fantasy, I f- could, I forgave her. I was like, <laughs> I, I understand your struggle or you made it human. And I do think those people, especially I love actresses who can really push what it means to be human. And especially what what women are allowed to do and what is emotionally comprehensible. And I felt everything Laura slash Jane did, I, I understood exactly why she was doing it. And these extreme actions she took, like breaking her hand and destroying mm-hmm. her career or, you know, what she did to her father. I was like, well, I kind of, I kind of get it. Yeah. And I liked the fact that you could tell the story. Like Andy was always going to be sort of the person you're rooting for and the person discovering things. And Andy could do a few bad things, but that really wasn't her role in the story. So I kind of felt like, you know, Laura had to be as extreme as possible while still being, you know, this is a relatively grounded show. And, you know, we can't get like insane, but (laughs) she could do very radical and ruthless things and you would still go on the journey with her. Well, the circumstances allowed for it, too. I mean, she was under very absurd circumstances. So we could we had to suspend that already. And so you could give her a little bit more leeway. And then Tony Collette is just... I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, the writing, but also Tony Collette. I, I mean, in her hands, I guess it's similar to Claire Danes. I mean, it's mm-hmm. just they can do that. And it was mission accomplished. That's mm-hmm. for sure. So we've mentioned your impressive list of credits, but this was, you know, your first time as a showrunner. So I wanted to find out what that experience was like for you. If there's anything that sort of surprised you about the experience. I think it's terrifying when someone yeah. says... <laughs> Hey, here's your show. Go do it. The it's first pretty terrifying. <laughs> impulse is complete panic. I think I knew this from my background in theater, but I think it's a strange combination of you absolutely can't, you live and die on the people you're working with. Like the whole show, it's, it is such a team sport. It's, you're so dependent on your writers, on your director, on your producers, on your actors. It's a very humbling thing, I think, because so many things have to go right for a show to work. And so every person is just so essential. And I think the primary experience coming out of it is one of gratitude. You're just, you're really shocked that people push themselves, you know, in, in Australia, we, we worked a lot of six day weeks And, you know, just people push themselves like repainting that wall. So when the person is standing against it, their skin looks perfect or like working over and over again to find the right coffee cups for the diner. These are minor things. They're like the right car that could crash, that you could turn over the right way. The cabin, like Grant Major, of course, also did, you know, Power of the Dog. He was our production designer and just like his fanatical attention to detail. And he pushed himself and pushed himself and worked, you know, 20 hours a day. And I think that is the most amazing thing is 
you're in the trenches together and you're spending every waking moment of your life telling a story together. That is really gratifying to me. Mm-hmm. But I think the the flip side of that is in terms of telling the story, ultimately it's your decision. Mm-hmm. And I think it's that shocking thing when you've worked on staffs, especially of very, very talented people, and you realize there's nobody to look at and go, mm-hmm. is this is this the right thing to do? And that is, that's a moment and a thing you go through. And then you sit there on set and watch the scene and you either go, oh my God, we can get through this. Or you go, oh, now I know what the scene is and it's too late. Oh, and I think you have both those experiences or I did, you know, Mm -hmm. other people may be smart enough to get all the rewrites done or you go, you know, and it's not the actor's fault. It's nobody's fault. It's you. It's what you put on the page. And it's what they're shooting. And I think that's a that's always a bracing. That's a bracing thing. <laughs> oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. yeah. The panic. Back to the panic. That sounds like panic to me. That's <laughs> a lot. Or you know, in some ways it works out. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. And, and I think the biggest the other, you know, as I said, like, you know, back to the the first version of it where people help you, mm-hmm. people like Minky go, I built I'm gonna build out this scene so it's a whole story and universe the words do this but the visuals do this whole other thing that adds another layer or the actors do something and you go oh that's a way people can elevate and improve i think is is you know just a real gift yeah yeah and i can imagine the flip side of that panic is is joy and yes it is you feel but it's a roller coaster ride you have every emotion it's like this is terrible this is great like you have that in like three minutes yeah right you have to just really over and over protect people from your mood swings and Mm. then i think i think that is a very first time showrunnery feeling i've heard you say that hollywood is a town of no and i'm Sure, you've heard your fair share, but you've also clearly experienced some big yeses that we can see on your resume. So for those of us that are still working towards but waiting for that big yes, how do you not only survive the no's but thrive the way that you have? I think in anything you do in life, whether you're you know a brain surgeon or an athlete or something, you have to be satisfying yourself and working towards that. And I think very early on in your life, you realize like you can want something, but you might not get it or you might get another thing. Like nothing really comes the way you expect it mm. to come. Mm-hmm. And it's very hard to accept. And there are many days where I get up and I don't accept that. And I just <laughs> have a tantrum and I'm stubborn. <laughs> but I think once you realize just pursue the craft, try to get better, something will happen. Be nice to people. Be grateful. Try to learn and just keep going. I had a theater director it would always be, you know, people were exhausted and rehearsal. She had this, like, she would just be like, keep going. Like, but she had this, she was mm-hmm. like from New York and she was, you know, had this very like strong accent. And I always have her voice in my mind, keep going, <laughs> just proceed and something will happen. And, but it won't be what you think and it won't be the way you think. And I think most people's careers are kind of like that. Mm-hmm. And it is partly luck, but I think it's just stamina and endurance. Yeah. And if you stick around long enough and if you keep working and keep writing and I don't know if this is true, but I heard like Gingy Cohen wrote like 13 pilots before she got to, you, you have to do it a long time. I, I don't know if that's true, but I think somebody once told me that. And I was such a bad writer for so long. I still feel <laughs> there are days where I'm just like, this is terrible. But I think that's, the joy of the profession is you can never be good enough and that keeps you going. Yeah. And it's just like, 
now I'm in this world and I'm going to get better telling this story. And then there'll be another thing or, you know, and I'll get better a different way. And I've tried to pick projects where I could work on different skills in terms of scene writing and character mm-hmm. and not just kind of the same genre. Yeah, to keep growing. So, I mean, you don't get anything when you stop. Your point about the perseverance and just keep going. If you continue to be afraid of the no's, the easiest way to not get them is to stop. But then you're definitely never going to get the yes if you do <laughs> yes. that either, right? Yes. So. If you stop, you're definitely not going to yeah. get the yes. Yeah. That's true. That's well, true. speaking of someone who always seems to say yes, Minky Spiro, who you mentioned, pieces of her is not the first time you two have teamed up. You work together on Fosse Verdon, and at least according to news reports, you're also adapting Kate Summerscale's ghost novel, The Haunting of Alma Fielding. So I was curious, we had spoken to Minky too, about your collaboration and what makes you and, and Minky work so well together. Minky is probably among the most passionate and hardworking people I've met. I mean, she is ferocious. Mm. She does not quit. She does not give up. She is very, very good with actors, and she's very inspiring to her crew. At the end of the shoot, she gave everyone an award and like literally everyone on the crew, oh, like wow. the special award that was <laughs> tailored to their specific skill and personality, but they were all funny. Oh, you know, like person most likely to make me laugh on a shitty day and everything. <laughs> and, you know, she's just really a leader. And I re- admire leaders, especially women who can mm. lead without falling back on a more patriarchal modes of leadership and I I think that and I think she's extremely visual and I'm really a writer who deep down feels like the best scene has no words in it because you should be so clear about what the story is that two people can be silent and you can be utterly moved by them but they don't speak Mm -hmm. ferocious a leader a Leo. She's a Leo. This is there all, you go. This is all tracking. Astrology We're still does matter. Yet, but I will. I guess I forgot that. But very, yeah, she yes. is. She is. She is Kate's loyal. A Leo, to, so yeah, she, I'm a Leo. So she we keeps bonded track over of all that. of our Leos. Yeah. Yes. No. Yes. No. It sounds like you, you two are also very similar, but there's mutual respect there that that keeps the engine working. I'm always about please make me better, yeah. you know, and yeah. tell me what's wrong with it. And also, I do think, you know, someone who's really great with actors, I just love to see how, you know, you do two takes and then Minky whispers something into Tony's ear and then you see the third take and Tony has like moved the angle slightly or turned something up or turned something down. That is addictive to sort of watch mm-hmm. that collaboration between directors and actors and they see, like you see like your story being like, pushed and pulled and like they're like let's try this let's push it this way like maybe it looks better from that angle and you also learn from your story and I think I remember telling her like halfway through like oh I know what the show is now (sighs) I do think the director and the actor like again some people yes I kind of knew but I didn't really know until I saw you know saw it up on its feet and that's also like such a gift you know you go oh now I know how to write the ending because 
you should be with it. To get deeper into Story it. Story was. Yeah. So you've talked about your career as being, you've mentioned a few of them, a patchwork of experience. You've had a successful career in theater before moving to LA. You were a showrunner's assistant, researcher, writer for the LA Times. But I understand it was playing armchair lawyer that led to your biggest break. You helped someone write their WGA arbitration statement. And that person was happy with your work and, and you and then gave you a, a big introduction. Is that correct? That is the story. I would, <laughs> upon reflection, I realized that that writer who was very generous to me did also a lot of work on that document. So I can't say complete credit, but <laughs> I did, I, I did help him and I, I was supportive and he did, you know, makes, make some progress in that case. And it was one of yeah. those funny things because I was working for him freelance and he was writing animated movies. And I was like, I'm never going to write animated features. And what am I doing? But I think it does prove as usual, one of those things like you just, just say yes to things and to people that seem like good people and smart, it could lead something. It's like every year that Homeland was renewed, I was like, I owe this to you. So thank you very much. So what do you think people can take away from your model of breaking in? And I think you've just said, be nice to the people that feel right to you. I also think you really do have to meet as many people as you can. It's kind of like, I do think it's like dating. Someone's (laughs) going to find something in you that they need. But if you don't meet a lot of people, I think that's that's hard. So you have to really do things that are, you're scared of. Get involved in different things and, and scare yourself and do the thing that you think you shouldn't do mm-hmm. and try to introduce yourself to people you admire and say, can I work for you? Whether it's like free or a small project or something, I think, I mean, this is, none of this is original, but I do mm-hmm. think that just that steady, steady, what else can I do? What am I not doing? Putting you know, yourself yes, you out have to there. write and you have to be internal, but you also have to like, people don't know you exist. You, yeah. you have to, how can they hire you if they don't know who you are? Yeah. Um, yeah, sometimes so, you have to be an armchair lawyer. You're talking to two lawyers, so we love oh, that wow. break-in story. Like, I, I like that it. That's how it. I like it. I think I'm sure you could have done a much better job than I did. But Who yes. knows? <laughs> <laughs> so we want to talk about The Morning Show, which is your mm-hmm. next project. You are going to be show running the third season, which is very exciting. So we wanted to find out how you became involved in that or what drew you to this show because it's tonally a bit different than a lot of your other work. So we'd love to hear about that. I think it's back to the question of like, you want to be able to do a bunch of different things. And so people don't go like, oh, you just write thrillers. I mean, I do love thrillers, but I think Fosse Verdon was so important because it was such a change in pace from what I've been doing. And it always comes down to like, what kind of scenes are you going to write? Like, cause that's your bread and butter. You got to sit in a room every day and break story. And then you got to sit down and write scenes. And I, what I love about the morning show is it's a little looser. Thrillers tend to be rather narrow and because everybody's like fierce for their lives. So they're not going to hang around and like chatting that much. (laughs) And they're, they often, they might do a little gallows humor right there. It's not like a lot of comedy often in thrillers. And I liked that morning show is looser. You can write these kind of crazy Corey Ellison monologues. Mm, so good. People just 
kind of shading each other and giving each other shit, talking about the world and stuff. And that's a very different style of writing. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's also kind of, Homeland really wasn't heightened like that. It's a, like urban sophisticates kind of talking like they're in All About Eve. Yeah. That's kind of more the show. Yeah. And I think also the the surprising tonal variations in Morning Show really interested me that you can start in a scene that seems very serious and then it can veer towards comedy mm-hmm. or something absurd. Mm-hmm. And that seemed like a really good challenge. And also, I mean, let's like, the actors, the cast is yes. Yes. It's insane. <laughs> it I, is. I mean, it's Truly. laughable. What am I doing here? They can't have possibly given me this job. Like, what were they yeah. thinking? What I drew mean, you, you to the show? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Maybe it just has like the best cast ever. That yes, could be it. Exactly. Um, an incredible producing director, Mimi Leader, and you know, but yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's you're sort of getting to my next question, which I mean, I do feel like you find yourself part of these amazing female dream teams. I mean, we've already mentioned with pieces of her, there was you and Minky, but also the powerhouse executive producers of Bruna, which Pup Andrea, we just call her Bruna. We act like, you know, we're on first name basis with her. Absolutely. We're not. But then as morning show, you've got Reese Witherspoon and Jennifer Aniston and the executive producing that. And then the writer, Carrie Aaron, who was the creator and showrunner. Mm -hmm. And you've already, I mean, so we would love to hear your thoughts on the ways in which maybe these female driven teams that you have been so fortunate, I would imagine to work with whether it makes a difference or how it makes a difference in terms of what you guys are creating and putting out there. I think it's a good question. It's kind of hard to answer because I, I do think there's certainly an appetite for complex women, but I have to say like, Homeland had an incredibly complex woman and it was created by two men. So yep. I hesitate to generalize. Uh, to me, it's more the the person rather than the gender. And, you know, yes, Bruna is a f- complete force of nature. So is Minky. So is Alex Gonza, you know, I mean, on Homeland. And yeah. Tommy Kale and Steve Levinson. It's, <laughs> and maybe it is, I think one thing you can say is it's certainly the work of people like Bruna that have shown studios that there's a tremendous appetite for these female stories with very complex women. Carrie existed in a world of men and, you know, we'd always laugh like Carrie doesn't have any friends. So it's just like (laughs) Carrie and some dudes mostly. But I do think people like, like Bruna have shown the world there's just a massive hunger for these stories of complex women. And I, I don't even think we've gone as as far as we could go right these stories because complex women are are so many things (laughs) right we've already talked about different these shows that we've even mentioned are all different so yeah but i also think you know we heard karen slaughter say this that you know I forget how many novels she's written. We we should know. I think it's 19. I was going to say 20. So many. So many. Over 40 million sold or whatever. But it wasn't until she met with with this team, with you guys, where she finally were like, these are my people. I mean, so she finally felt comfortable adopting her work because she felt like it was in the hands of the right people. And, And I think the bacon and the milkshake gave her that indication, but I'm pretty sure it was more about, you know, what you guys saw in the story. And it just seemed like she was suggesting like some of these meetings she had had with with men in the past and maybe 
didn't really have the understand or have the right feel for her and mm. that she felt so comfortable and confident that she could turn her story over and she was yeah, she said she would have hollywood meetings and they would say we love your book we love it but it's a little too female forward yeah, yeah. oh my gosh can we make yeah. some of these men yeah. Oh my gosh. So. Yeah, that's, that's, I think we've all been in this, right, these meetings. Karen is very funny. She's yes. extremely <laughs> so tough. Funny. She's very dark. And those are all things I love. And yes. I do, I do think there is a little, you know, Capricorn energy mm -hmm. there. Oh, yeah, just yeah. the don't take any crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you you've know. given away many clues to your Capricorn yes. nature, the ambitious, the stubborn. I think you've already said that, but also perseverance. Yeah. Perseverance, yeah. but also mm -hmm. the willingness to grow and, and criticism being like catnip. I'm, I have a Capricorn moon, so I get it. It's the cardinal sign is wants to constantly be growing and learning, but I've heard you also though speak in some interviews and, and read some of your words where your phrasings have a mystical quality to them. You talked about a haunted location in Berlin for Homeland, how your body lifted itself up and walked yourself over to Joloya. And you quoted Julie Andrews in The Sound of Music, somewhere in my youth, I must have done something good. The implication being that karma or luck has delivered on your previous acts. When I hear that kind of talk, I'm like, okay, this is, I get this. <laughs> and your work at Oxford was studying Walter Benjamin, who was an eclectic thinker combining elements of German idealism, romanticism, West Marxism, and Jewish mysticism. Are you interested in this? And is it chicken or the egg? It was it after you studied that that you became interested or started just using these words and having it be part of your life? Or was it the other way around? Maybe that you were drawn to studying for that reason. I do think the adoption thing creates a mystery. Yes. So you grow up with a mystery. So you're always on a quest, I think. And my adoption experience is so similar to many people's in the sense of like people always talk about, you know, as a kid, I'd be in a, line, in a McDonald's line and I'd look around. I'd be like, maybe my mother's in this line. Like maybe I should I should watch carefully because she might walk by and I wouldn't want to miss her. So I think that reaching thing sort of contributes to that. And there's probably a little, you know, I've got a little bit of the romantic. I want something to be just mm -hmm. out of reach mm -hmm. that you turn that into a positive. And I was obsessed with Germany. I think my father went there when I was a very young child and he brought back a picture for me. I, I really was into Egypt and I thought I would be a archeologist when I was a kid. And he brought a picture back of the bust of Nefertiti. It's this I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's this extraordinary sculpture of, you know, this this ancient Egyptian queen. And it is, she is so beautiful and mysterious and she holds all the secrets of the universe in her eyes. Mm. And when he showed me the picture, I was like, oh, that's what my mother looks like. But I needed that picture. And so that I feel like I was, I kind of was like, oh, that she's like, there's like a statue of her in Germany. <laughs> and it's like, that's where she is. And it's, I think those things are the undercurrents. But I think what I always liked about, I think what struck me about Walter Benjamin, besides the fact that he was a very, he's just his right, just like his style itself is very compelling was that he was somebody who was interested in how do you describe what it is like to be alive mm -hmm. in a charged moment of history, right? He was trying to, he could feel the tsunami of 
fascism. He could just like see it coming across, you know, the ocean, like about to devour. And I think he was trying to desperately get down on paper. What is it like to feel history happening to you in the moment? And I do think the best television shows do the exact same thing, which is they, you know, there's stuff in the ether and you pull that in and you make a story and yes, it's characters and they're like spies or I don't know, they're in witness protection, but you're always really trying to say, this is what it's like to be alive right now. Even if it's escapism, you're saying like, things are so bad. Like, this is what I wish it were like to be alive right now. And I think that is the underpinning of you're always trying to chase the expression of that somehow. Mm -hmm. And I think these shows that are very zeitgeisty always, you know, are sort of able to, to do that really well. And so there is a connection to me. It's not a kind of like cerebral thing or philosophy or anything abstract like that. To me, it's like, what is it? Here we are on earth right now. What's going on? How do we feel about it? You know, what should be different? Mm -hmm. And how did you get into astrology and, and do you use it ever in your writing or creating of characters? I don't. I think it's just it's just a way to define yourself and a way to explain certain <laughs> characteristics yeah. you have. You're like, well, I can't help it. I'm Capricorn. You but, know, it's, it's <laughs> or you glom on to I think when you're young and you're like, who am I? What is my identity? Maybe, yeah. you know, if you find some things and. It, it seems to explain something. Or you I think thought when you met Karen, it might be a point of commonality. It could be. And there yeah. was just something. And of course, I researched her and I read interviews mm -hmm. and saw, you know, things on YouTube that she had done. And I felt that toughness and that lack yeah. of a, a, a sort of cover. I mean, I think she's, a you know, of course, a person of deep feeling to write these books. But there's a tension in the way Karen pushes against emotion mm -hmm. with violence and secrets it's just naturally dramatic and you know if you're writing stories you're, you're of course drawn to tension and there's just something even about her personality yes. that I responded to yes we felt the same way we interviewed her and just were so taken we she, had no idea how funny she was so we yeah, did you know you so just have funny. no idea yeah. and and it, we were so pleasantly surprised like she's hilarious yeah. <laughs> She is. She's got the deadpan thing down. Oh, I mean, she, my gosh. She is, she is genius. And it, it's like there's, she'll always, like, leave the space for you to go, oh, that was a job. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Oh, that's funny. Right. Yes. Um, yes. Just so wait, wait for it. Wait for it. <laughs> you know, and you're like, oh, yes. We should have known right out of the gate when we asked to take a screenshot. And of all three of us on here like this, and she got out these funny, like, googly glasses and insisted that the photo be with that. And we were like, oh, okay. But then we realized, <laughs> oh, this is, she's just kidding. And then then we understood from there. It was, but by it was the way, great. we took that picture, and then she was, like, not happy with that picture. So she went out of the camera oh, yeah. and put on a sock puppet. <laughs> <laughs> that does sound the like track. her. Yeah. Entirely. Yes. And I feel like, you know, if there's one thing that... It, it's just you I was trying to catch some of that tone in the series. And I was so happy every time anytime I could put like a little dialogue from the the book in. And she posted something on Mother's Day 
that I loved, and I didn't know if you you had seen this by any chance, but mm-hmm. she's she said, you know, Laura. It's a line that Laura says in the book. That was so good. Men can always reinvent themselves for for women. Once you're a mother, you're always a mother. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I almost I just, stole that and used it on our social media. I would have given her full credit, of course, yeah. but I did see that. I thought that was so good. It was anyway. Yes, yeah, so the, the one line about Laura. I'll just just to finish off with mm-hmm. that. Laura, to change the world, you have to destroy it. That was kind of Jane's MO. Yeah. And I I just always try to keep that in mind with Tony's character. Mm-hmm. That she was she would be happy to burn it all, all down. down. Mm-hmm. And that her brother, you know, Jasper, just cannot understand that. Yeah. No. Like no. why? Why? Right. We have He's this legacy. It. It's incredible. Yeah. You build, you build. And she's like, nope. Nope. We destroy You burn it down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then Andy is another take. She wants to, she needs to uncover it all. And so she doesn't want it burned down either, but for different reasons, not until she knows, not until she understands. So the- Andy is a truth seeker, right? Yes. She just, she needs, she needs the truth. And I think she takes that, I think her, you know, her problematic father was, had that the best part of him also wanted that was it was a truth teller that's right you know? yeah mm-hmm. and and a sort of you know bullshit outer I think he, at least he sort of had that kind of idealism as a as a young man but yes yeah. you know you have a you have a thing that turns on the switch to become a writer whether it's being adopted or just having terrible parents or, you know, fill in the blank or like, you know, there's an early loss you experience or something like that. Everybody, I think most writers have some story like that. And I think it's about growing beyond that initial wound or break Mm. and being able to tell more than one story Mm. and become holistic in your creative process and it's not just like i'm circling this one question in my life that you can you can ask a lot of different questions Mm. i like that i like that too yeah speaking of liking things we always (laughs) like to ask whoever we talk to what are you loving right now are there other shows that you're watching or movies or books you're reading or podcasts you're listening to anything that you're sort of obsessing over in your free time, of course, yeah. which, yes, of which my, I'm sure you have very little. In my copious free time. Yeah. I think the last couple of scene, the last couple of things, I love Barry. Oh, um, nice. I really mm-hmm. love Barry. I love the tonal boldness of that show. Mm-hmm. It's really incredible. It's also combines my two favorite things like Hitman and theater (laughs) like I am the ideal audience for that I love gross point blank it's like a movie I've just seen 4,000 times and so I love the troubled hitman movie it's it's a trope and I don't care it's so good yeah I also really liked drive my car the Japanese movie okay Um, I thought that was really amazing and that had a couple of scenes in it that it's the kind of thing I love when you watch something and you go, this makes me want to write. Yeah. This makes me want to write anymore. This makes me want to be a better writer. It's very easy to watch a lot of things where you're like, that's terrible. But those things. So that movie, and I also, this is, this goes back a little ways, but I really loved, I may destroy you. 
Oh, mm. There's that. nothing original about the things I like. Everybody oh. else likes them too, but for good reason. Though. I, I mean, I mean, talk about a complicated yes. women. Yes. Um, we spent a lot of time talking about that. That oh. was. I just. I think that was very, very inspirational to a lot of people, and it just showed. Just going at something sideways mm-hmm. in a really, really surprising way. Mm-hmm. Everything yeah. was surprising on that show. Every every episode went in a different direction, that it, and there was so much nuance explored that it was just mind-boggling. Yeah, and people do like these things that you've shared, but it's always exciting to hear your passion and your angle. You do seem to like disparate things put together, right? That always is something you, it seems that you're drawn to. I think it's you're always looking like, what's going to be the tension? What's going to mm-hmm. be the engine? Yeah. How How is this plane going to take off because I do think a TV show, you know, just it, a TV show has to sustain its own weight. And it's, it's actually to do that for 60 minutes is, is a challenge. And you, you always have to find like, what's going to get it off the ground. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to talk to us today. It was so exciting. I was Really excited to talk to you as soon as I heard the bacon and milkshake story. <laughs> I went on an interview and with a lot of men who uh, I work in finance or did, and they were all ordering granola and yogurt and black coffee. And I ordered banana pancakes and ate every single bite of it. I got the job, but people, when I heard that story yeah, people about are still you, shocked. yeah, I was like, Corinne, th- that's exactly what you would order. Like the, the bacon and milkshake <laughs> did not, I was like, you're laughing because you're like, yeah, I would order that like a hundred percent. Absolutely. Well, first of all, the salty and the sweet is just, oh, well, there you go. There you that's, go. That's the combination. Can't go yes. wrong there. Can't well, go I, wrong. I also really want to thank you so much for just your interest in the show and, you know, the deep dive you've done on it and just how articulate and thoughtful you are about laying out, you know, the things in the show that were moving or of interest to you and kind of thinking about all the the layers and stuff. It, it really, it means a lot. Oh, well, thank you for creating it. I mean, oh, well, thank you. But, but thank you for that content. Yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know, we've, we love it. So thank you. Thank you. This has been Pop Fiction Women with Corinne and Kate. If you enjoyed this show, please tell the complicated women in your life. And the men who love them. Yes, tell them to listen. And then to follow on Spotify or review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And of course, share on social media. Tag us with your favorite books, TV shows, and movies starring complicated women on Facebook and Instagram at Pop Fiction Women or on Twitter at pop underscore women. For more coverage of the women you love, or to find out if you qualify as a complicated woman, go to popfictionwomen.com. And keep it complicated.